Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon here. Great to have you back. Lots of podcasting has been going on lately, and we've been doing lots of interviews and a few deep dives and some specialist examinations of uh, different components, etc. But today, a long overdue update. Apologies, it's taken me so long to get to it, but uh, we're here. Because there are lots and lots of things being released all the time. In fact, the pace of release is uh, getting faster than ever. It's interesting. In fact, uh, just in the month of October, we released uh, 73 new features and services. Um, and so that takes our total to 782 year to date. That's over 36% more year on year. So it's a lot of things that are going on. And so I don't pretend to try and keep you fully up to date with every single thing that's changed. What I do like to do is to uh, give you some highlights and give you some things that I think would be useful to a lot of people. So with that in mind, let's get cracking. Actually, before I do, a reminder, if you do have uh, feedback, suggestions, things you prefer, things you'd like to see change, you can always reach me, podcast at amazon.com. Really do read all your feedback and get back to you. So um, it is very valuable. Also, a quick note, I will be at reInvent this year. Uh, bopping around, uh, doing a couple of presentations. Uh, ARC 310 about cost optimizing your architecture is my one. And uh, we'll also be trying to record a few snippets for the podcast as well. So if you're around, do say hello. And I will try and also bring some of the limited edition AWS podcast stickers. Uh, not many of those floating around, quite a few in Australia, but uh, globally not so much. So uh, we'll see if we can change that. So I'll try and bring a decent supply. So what's been happening? What should we be talking about? Well, I'm going to start with a very quick parochial update, and that is to say that there is a new Direct Connect location available, and that Direct Connect location is in Melbourne, Australia. So funnily enough, I'm kind of happy about that. So that's the third Direct Connect in Australia. We have two in Sydney and one in Melbourne, and they all provide um, reliable high bandwidth, low cost interconnect into the Asia-Pacific Sydney region. So if you're a Melbourne AWS customer, that's one you should look at. So what else has been going on? What are some exciting things I can share with you? Well, let me start with probably one of the bigger ones that a lot of people would have noticed, um, a bit of an announcement about the VMware Cloud on AWS. This is a really interesting combination of two uh, large providers who can solve some problems for customers. And uh, essentially what this will do is allow customers who run VMware, an easier option to simply migrate um, their VMware workloads to the AWS cloud. Now, lots of details and nuances of that to come. You'll see lots of announcements, so I'm not going to go super deep into that at the moment, um, but you can talk to both uh, your AWS uh, team and also your VMware team about that. That'll be coming uh, in the future, and you'll see more announcements going on. But I know a lot of people are excited to see that because they have a lot of existing infrastructure they'd like to just move across really quickly. Now, in the meantime, you can move things across very, very easily. You can use something called the AWS Server Migration Service, and this allows you to set up migration uh, relationships between your VMware vCenter and AWS so that you can be incrementally migrating your VMware images across and then cutting over at the appropriate time. Now, in another episode, we'll go into some detail about this, but I thought I'd mention it as an update because it's a kind of a nice solution for a lot of people. IPv6. IPv6 is clearly the future for connected devices, for the internet, and for the growth of uh, industry in general. And really pleased to announce that we have uh, an IPv6 support update. We now have IPv6 support for CloudFront, for WAF, and for S3 transfer acceleration. 
So this means you can IPv6 enable all of those services. It's an opt-in when it comes to CloudFront um, and some nuances in how to do that, as well as the other services. Probably the biggest uh, recommendation I would make is to test. Test what you're doing just to make sure you've got all the relationships correct and also that you're supporting infrastructure and supporting logging infrastructure, etc. supports the fact that suddenly IPv6 addresses are going to start coming through. They look different than IPv4 addresses. They're bigger. I cannot memorize them. And they'll start to show up. And uh, you want to make sure that your log processing system will respect those. Also the same for the X forwarded 4 header that you'll get from a, an origin. Um, it will also contain an IPv6 address. So again, make sure uh, you test that thoroughly. Another big announcement was the ability to run Windows Server 2016 on Amazon EC2. And a lot of our customers who run Windows Server are very excited to get their hands on the various flavors of this. Uh, so we will be making it available in all AWS regions in four distinct forms. So there'll be the Windows Server 2016 data center with desktop experience. So this is kind of your mainstream version of Windows Server. There's also the Windows Server 2016 Nano Server, which is uh, more designed to be a cloud-native minimal install with just the things you need to run in the cloud. Then there's Windows Server 2016 with containers, which I know a lot of customers are looking forward to because that is uh, Windows containers and Docker already installed. And finally, there's Windows Server 2016 with SQL Server 2016, which is what it sounds. Um, the usual good stuff of buying it on demand, using it on demand, licensing included or BYO licensing, depending on your licensing terms that you have. Um, Microsoft recommends a minimum of two gig of memory. Uh, you can choose the instance type that makes most sense. Probably the biggest thing I'll point out in terms of a little change that uh, long-time AWS users might notice is that um, an upgraded version of our SSM agent is now used in place of EC2 config. So if you're an old-timer like me and you're always used to jumping into EC2 config to do stuff on your Windows instances, it will no longer be there. Uh, the SSM agent is what you want to be looking at as well, which is pretty cool. What else is new? Uh, ElastiCache. I'm a big fan of Amazon ElastiCache, uh, and I really like the Redis engine because it does some pretty cool stuff that has helped me in a lot of solutions I've helped customers put together and put together for myself. Uh, a few big changes. I'm going to summarize them. First thing, sharded cluster support. So you can now create sharded clusters that hold more than three and a half terabytes of in-memory data. So that's getting up there now in terms of really useful, meaningful, big data sets in a very highly performant uh, context. Uh, we've improved the console, uh, so the creation and maintenance of clusters is more easy and uh, less clicks, and less clicks is a good thing. Uh, you now also have access to the Redis 3.2 engine, and you can now store and process geospatial data, which I know a lot of people will be excited about because um, that's a very common use case. So some good, uh, some good updates there. Another little update, but you know, important, uh, EC2 DNS support for non-RFC 1918 address ranges. So what this means is that we are allowing support for DNS resolution of host names where instances have private IP addresses outside of the 1918 space. Uh, this support is now native in EC2 DNS, so you don't have to run your own custom DNS servers if the CIDR range of your VPC is outside that range. In the past, we only supported you know, the 10.8 range, the 172.16.12 range, and the 192.168.16 range. Um, now you can kind of do whatever you need to do, which is great. It gives you a bit more flexibility than you may have had in the past and uh, helps more customers do more things. Another nice change, specifically for people doing big data processing and using Elastic MapReduce, and this is one of those classic updates that 
I know a lot of you say, you know, sometimes you give me updates that I really get and understand, and other times it's like you're speaking another language. Well, this may well be one of those other languages. Um, so the update is you can now use Apache Flink 1.1.3 and also upgraded versions of Apache Zeppelin. It's 0.6.2, Apache HBase 1.2.3 on Amazon EMR, which is now at 5.1. And the Interactive Notebook Q also supports querying of data using Presto. Did that make sense to you? <laughs> You'll either care about that or not. Um, in case you're wondering, so Apache Flink is a streaming data flow engine that makes it easy to run real-time stream processing on high-throughput data sources, uh, which is a pretty nifty capability. It also has connectors for Amazon Kinesis Streams, Apache Kafka, Elasticsearch, the Twitter streaming API, Cassandra, and you can also access data in Amazon S3 with uh, EMRFS and HDFS. So it's a pretty handy tool and lots of integrations there. So that's a little update that's quite useful. One that I'm really excited about, and I know a lot of our listeners, particularly in the developer community, will be excited about, is the availability of the Amazon Linux container image for cloud and on-premises workloads. So many of you will be familiar with the Amazon Linux AMI. Uh, it's designed to provide a stable, secure, high-performance execution environment for applications running on EC2. Uh, it's always been a really great distro to use and certainly tends to be my default distro that I grab when I'm doing something. And I know a lot of customers have used it very successfully because they like the reliability, they like the fact that it's regularly updated and maintained, they also like the fact that it doesn't cost them anything. Uh, so it's pretty handy, but probably the biggest uh, piece of feedback I've always had is, but it would be great to run it on my laptop slash on-premises infrastructure for XYZ use case. So now the container image is available for cloud and on-premises use. So you can get it from the EC2 container registry or you can get it from Docker Hub as well. So suddenly you can run it on your laptop, on services uh, in your own data center. Uh, you can choose and it's the same uh, image, which means you've got complete portability as well. It's kind of interesting. So that's uh, an interesting and good change. Some more things to be aware of. So uh, you may be familiar with the X1 instance. This is a uh, newer instance family in EC2 that allows you to specifically run things like SAP HANA, et cetera. Um, nice, big, beefy instance type with lots of memory. Uh, earlier in the year, we made the X1-32X large available, and this was a two terabyte uh, instance. We now have the new X1-16X large, which allows you to run smaller footprint workloads. So it's kind of stepping it down a little bit as well. Um, the X1-16X large has two Intel Xeon E7-8880 V3 Haswell CPUs running with uh, 32 cores and 64 vCPUs. Uh, Memory-wise, it's 976 gigabytes, and it has one... 0.9 gig of SSD storage, 10 gig network bandwidth, and dedicated 5 gig EBS bandwidth as well, e EBS optimized at no extra cost. So um, this gives you a really good platform for running some pretty significant workloads. It's available in uh, US East Northern Virginia, US West Oregon, Europe Ireland, Europe Frankfurt, Asia Pacific Tokyo, Asia Pacific Singapore, Asia Pacific Sydney, Asia Pacific Mumbai, which is new, uh, in GovCloud in the US, which is new, and Asia Pacific Seoul, which is new as well. So uh, a new form factor there for you to use for your applications. And I always recommend that when we, we're releasing new uh, instance types in uh, EC2 families or similar EC2 families, it's always a great opportunity to review and reflect upon what your workload is like from a historical performance perspective, because you always have the opportunity to change your instance type and you can save money and uh, run it more optimally. So you should always keep an eye on whether your instances that are running could fit a better instance type. 
Now another change in the land of Snowball. Now Snowball is a physical device that you order and it gets sent to your data center and you can copy data onto it and send it back. It's proved hugely popular with customers because it allows you to migrate large amounts of data highly securely at very low cost. Um, the Snowball can take up to 80 terabytes of data per Snowball. Now, if you're running MapReduce jobs on-premises and you're storing data in HDFS, which you typically would if you're using Hadoop, um, you've probably got a lot of data and you'd like to move that really easily into AWS so you can use things like EMR, etc. Now, what you can do is you can actually use uh, Snowball to just do straight in HDFS import. So you don't actually need to do anything intermediate to copy it from HDFS to an intermediate format and then back to HDFS. Snowball now supports HDFS and the Snowball client, I should say, now supports Snowball HDFS directly. This is a really uh, important change for customers who have large amounts of analytical data that they want to move. You can move it really easily now. Another nifty change is uh, CloudWatch plugin for CollectD. Uh, if you are running CollectD, which many of you are, you can now use that plugin to send that data straight into CloudWatch, which is really, really nice because it gives you a centralized location to store lots and lots of information. And in fact, speaking of CloudWatch and storing of log data, um, on November 1st, CloudWatch extended the retention period for CloudWatch metrics from 14 days to 15 months free of charge. That's pretty nifty. So uh, what happens is there is now three retention schedules that go on, and, and this basically shows how we capture the data points but kind of compress them over time. So your one-minute data points are available for 15 days. Five-minute data points are available for 63 days, and one-hour data points are available for 455 days. So this means you get a much uh, longer-term storage at no extra cost of your data points so you can do historical analysis, etc. Now, CloudWatch also did uh, some great work on the interface, the user interface, with improved graphing controls, which is an important thing to visualize your data, an updated calendar widget, which, the, which supports both relative and absolute timelines, which is really nice, uh, simpler visualization of metric groups, uh, more advanced metric searches, and easier navigation to alarms and dashboards. So if you haven't used it for a while, take a look and you're automatically getting much more storage and uh, longevity of your data than ever before. Now on the developer side, there's been a lot of changes and updates to our various uh, solutions in that space, including code commit, code pipeline, and code deploy. Now these are tools that help you uh, store information related to your development projects, create automated pipelines and deployment processes for your applications. You can tune them and adjust them as suits your particular workflow, but they're very powerful and uh, very simple to get started as well. So what are some of the changes that have happened? Uh, so firstly, in terms of code commit, uh, we now have repository triggers. So you can do automatic uh, hooks and processes based on what's going on in your repository. Uh, much easier code browsing. Uh, commit history, so you can see what's been going on from a commit perspective. The commit visualization window, which is really nice to see the branching and changes that have gone on. And also Elastic Beanstalk integration as well. So you can now store your project code uh, in uh, in code commit and it can be deployed into Elastic Beanstalk automatically. Speaking of deployment, Code Deploy has some enhancements. We now have CloudWatch events integration. So you can now monitor and react to deployment changes with CloudWatch events. So you can see uh, what's going on and take action based on that. Uh, speaking of which, CloudWatch Alarms uh, now provides automatic deployment rollback. So you can automatically 
roll back based upon what happens in your deployment, which is often a good thing if things go awry. We have push notifications to give you status updates, which is really nice, and some really good partner integrations as well. Um, some of the more recent partners that have integrated, including uh, include HashiCorp, who've integrated Console, uh, JetBrains, who have integrated, I should say, uh, TeamCity, and of course, Bitbucket as well. In terms of code pipeline, uh, some new things there. So integration with AWS OpsWorks, so you can have uh, a deployment provider being the code pipeline. Uh, triggering of Lambda functions, which means you can kind of create anything you want based upon your code pipeline process, so you can get really custom if you need to. Uh, manual approval actions, so you can insert the human if necessary in certain processes, depending on your situation. You can see more information about committed changes and also some new partner integrations as well. Uh, HPE Storm Runner Load and Solana Labs are two notable ones that have made some changes. So there's a bit of a taste of some of the things that have been going on. I know I haven't got to everything. I've done as much as I can. Actually, no, last minute one that I forgot to mention that I wanted to mention. We need to talk about budgets. In fact, a big update to AWS budgets. One of the great things about using AWS from a customer perspective is you can see how much things cost. Uh, one of the things that's important to do that is to show the right people the right budgets and also give people information about what is happening with their budget. So the new version of budgets allows you to have far better visualization of what your costs are, but also you can set pre-arranged limits and you can visualize against that arbitrary budget that you may set for a particular um, project or a particular piece of work, etc. You can also set alerts and alarms on that so you don't get any bill shock. You can simply see what's going on as it happens and more importantly, before it happens and you can take corrective action. You can create up to 20,000 budgets per payer account. So you can have as many budgets as you like essentially uh, in the context of that. And you can present them to different people uh, in different situations. So, you know, a VP might just want to optimize cloud spend and see what's going on. A finance manager might want to understand historical costs for the automation, for the organization and understand how they should be planning. A project manager is probably working within a, a finite set of uh, resources and parameters that they need to manage to as well. Uh, Amazon budgets allows you to really apply for all of those really, really easily. And you can set periods, you can set tagging, you can set, uh, uh, AZs, you can set a whole lot of different detail about what you want to monitor and manage and visualize it really, really effectively. So something to take a look at that is really useful and can uh, help you get a much better understanding of what you're doing. You can create up to two budgets per account at no charge and each additional budget costs two cents per day uh, and you can have up to 20,000 budgets per account. So we covered a lot today. Uh, I'll try and keep us up to date far more frequently than this. I think I left it a little bit too long, but again, love to get your feedback on how it's going for you. AWS podcast at amazon.com. Let everyone know that the podcast is firing along. And until next time, keep on building.